G'day and welcome to another episode of the Safety at Work Talks podcast. Um, I'm Kevin Jones. Earlier this month, uh, the law firm Clyde & Co conducted a couple of year in review events in Australia. One of the speakers, well, the speaker at the Melbourne event was Elena Titterton, who's an increasingly prominent workplace safety lawyer in Australia and a partner with Clyde & Co. I'd written uh, an article uh, on the Year in Review event for the Safety at Work blog uh, just the other week, but I also had the chance to talk with Elena beforehand. Elena touched on various OHS issues in our chat, um, dealing with the topical issues of industrial manslaughter, but also dealing with police in workplace investigations, um, some issues with the certification to safety standards, a bit on safety and procurement, and also a quick discussion about small business. It was also good to hear her talk about the safe systems of work. She mentioned it a couple of times, and it's a concept that's existed since the early days of modern OHS laws, but it's still poorly understood, and yet it is a really useful, all-encompassing term for how to um, how to deal with um, safety issues and the variety of safety issues in workplaces. So anyway, here's my chat with Elena Titterton. It goes for just over 20 minutes, and I hope you enjoy it. Elena, nice to talk to you. Thanks for coming down to Melbourne. Good to see you, Kevin. Um, it's been a long time, a whole two, three months. Well, yeah, well, I was thinking, <laughs> I, I was uh, riding in on my scooter down here, and when you've got a helmet on, yeah. you think about all sorts of things. And I was thinking there's a... There Mindfully, a, of course, because oh, you're driving. Of course, of course, of course, I'm not distracted. But uh, there was a, a drunken work cover New South Wales awards night a few years ago, <laughs> and uh, I started to think about, that's when I got distracted and had to, had to do something else. Um but what um, we're here talking before you conduct a seminar that uh, Clyde and Co have organised both in Melbourne and Sydney on work health and safety in Australia, like a year in review. Mm. Now it's a terrific idea um, because it's really hard sometimes to think about the year you've just had. Mm. Um, so it's really good, but we're not talking about that today. Uh, that's going to be uh, covered in a, a blog article. I was interested. In the first question I had was that: What do you think was going to be the most important? safety issue or health and safety issue next year in 2018 mm. is there anything that you think is just sort of bubbling along here mm. that will appear in 2018 look i think a number of the developments coming out of 2017 are set to continue in 2018 so there's a real need for people to be refreshing incident response protocols mm -hmm. uh, and investigation protocols particularly uh due to the fact that we're seeing an increased interest from police in relation to workplace fatalities. So you've got uh, your general criminal law manslaughter charges coming mm. down and there's been a whole raft of those um, against individuals who have been involved in workplace fatalities, particularly on construction sites. Uh, and you've seen that in Queensland and um, also a bit of interest in, in New South Wales in relation mm. to a bus company mm. um, uh, person and... and uh, a couple of people in, in a bus company out of the kangaroo um, uh, uh, valley uh, crash in mm -hmm. 2010. So a uh, couple, of, couple of charges there. So you've got that going on. And then at the same time, you also have the new industrial manslaughter provisions up in Queensland with a $10 million penalty for corporations mm -hmm. um, and 20 years jail time for individuals as well. Um, and the industrial manslaughter provisions are picking up a broader group of people, senior officers, a broader group of people than the officer definition mm. under Section 27 um, being the officer mm. definition for corporations or purposes. So um, 
when you put all of that together, um, you know, uh, what we're really seeing is increased personal liability. And in that regard, not only on the manslaughter point and people being picked up under that, but also personal prosecutions in relation to the worker duty. Mm. So with those personal prosecutions, um, reaching the same kind of levels as officer prosecutions, which is very strange. You know, in the past, it's all officer focus, officer focus. So uh, in the early days of Mm. post-model laws introduction, we were having lots of due diligence presentations to boards and those are Mm. still going on and still very important. Um, But is the same level of effort going into awareness programs and education for supervisors and managers um, in that kind of middle management level sitting below that, uh, what we now think of as officer Mm. level in senior leadership. And I don't know that we've got that Mm. sorted in how organisations are dealing with things. Um, And certainly... um, the incident response and investigation protocols that I see don't really pick up how you deal with a policeman (laughs) um, coming and asking you questions. Um, They're more dealing with the regulator and really quite focused on what a health and safety regulator is going to do and ask for and their powers of compulsion. And it's a very different proposition for police. So, On traumatic uh, fatalities, um, uh, well, um, police have often attended mm. and they're often or usually take mm. the lead role but you're absolutely right any of the training that I've participated in over the last 20 years has never talked about dealing with police only ever with the safety regulators yeah. which is which is very very it odd. doesn't pick it up it doesn't can pick I, it up can I ask the um, on the industrial manslaughter given that it was so prominent in mm. Queensland um, is from your experience of the people you've talked to since that's come in in mm. Queensland <clears throat> is it do they ask you more about how can I minimise my exposure or how can I avoid the situation by improving safety? Are they seen yeah. as a personal, yeah. personal threat or an organisational responsibility? It's, it's interesting. Um, it normally starts with one and heads to the other <laughs> through the course of the conversation. Yeah. Um, there is this kind of question of, you know, what is our legal liability exposure? And that's where we start. And and we go, well, that's all very interesting. Mm. <laughs> yes, we can lay that all out for you and this is what it looks like. Um, but at the end of the day, wouldn't you just like to avoid this whole situation mm. from even being close to um, turning up in your organisation? Um, what should we be doing about it? Yeah. <laughs> How do you actually create a safe system of work? Yeah. So but we the, typically but drive the conversation there. Yeah, uh, you know. but once, once, you, mm. once you go from the... The, the uh, topical of yeah. a new legal liabil- liability, yeah. um, and then you start talking about OHS management systems, mm. and, and I mean they must go, oh god, not this again. I mean, is it, you know, this? Uh, it's gone in their impression. It's not talking about anything new. Mm. It's talking about their obligations they've had for decades, mm. and they're still struggling with. And so oh, we've got to go back to that, mm. which the reality is, yes, you do. Yeah, but it's the still, fundamentals are the fundamentals. Yeah. And that's what safe systems of work are. I mean, we are seeing more of a conversation around engagement with Mm -hmm. the workforce and the context of an organisation and its operations in the development of those safe systems of work now. Um, I've been doing some interesting live polling across a number of uh, training sessions I've been doing. And one of the fascinating pieces of feedback, and it's pretty consistent across different light poles, because I'm obsessed with this point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now's your chance. Now's now's your chance. Um, To what extent does certification to, you know, standard like AS4801 
to what extent is that a good predictor of safety performance in practice of your contractors or your mm-hmm. organisation? And, you know, I get results somewhere between 80 and 95% saying it's not. Mm. Um, and that's amazing, isn't it? Because when you look at what we hold for criteria for safety performance in tendering uh, and procurement, for instance, what does it look like? It looks like, do you have certification against one of these standards um, and give us, um, uh, show us that certificate essentially, right? And that's one of the ways in which we're comparing safety performance. And wouldn't it be better if we actually had um, indicators that are really going to actual safety performance? I I agree. I think one of the things that when we're talking about management standards or even design standards and engineering standards, we talk about uh, and we ask our, our, Mm. our contractors, is it compliant with AS blah, blah, blah? Mm. And I'm sure part of the problem is the word compliant because what <laughs> we've got is that it does it agree with, does it meet with the mm. standard? But that's significant difference from is it safe? Mm. Um, so what we've got is a procurement process in lots of big contracts, mm. multi-billion dollar contracts, that simply are compliant with a standard that is still a guidance, still... You know, mm. still written by a group of people in a room maybe 10 years mm. ago, uh, that doesn't, that we infer mm. says it's safe. Yeah. But it's, and, but it's, it's fundamentally different. Exactly, exactly. And also, you're, you're seeing it's increasingly transactional. For the benefit of people on the podcast, you mm. might find it interesting to note that we have mm. just got some really great food in the room and we're both a little bit distracted yes. by the fabulous <clears throat> smells of the food that you can't smell I over, I haven't <laughs> over seen audio. A, I haven't seen a pork pie like that, like that for in quite a long some time. time so yeah. <laughs> so, so pu- apologies uh, for that, <laughs> that brain moment of pause. Yeah. Um, mm. But I, I think one of the big problems on procurement, gosh, I don't know how we, we turn to procurement, but... Um, we can go anywhere. We can go anywhere, really. Um, is around the the fact that it's treated as a, a transactional thing where you're mm. looking at this one particular project or one particular activity that you're contracting out, beyond, beyond the fact that you've got you know, pre-qualified contractors, mm. whatever. But, yeah, yeah. but typically, when you're doing evaluations, you're evaluating that particular tender and what's going on in that particular um, project. Um, and you're, you're not really thinking about the whole relationship between you and that contractor or supplier mm. as yep. a broader um, relationship. Yep. So I we've, think we've compartmentalized yeah. the safety into into a transaction at the start of the project. Yeah. And yet safety is so changeable and so dynamic mm. that we're really never going to be able to judge that until until people start digging in the ground or putting yeah. putting things up. And then it changes the the, the makeup of and the obligations and the con- conversation. And also, okay, you've had one project with this contractor. If it is a relationship that you're wanting to have on an ongoing basis, well, what did we learn together? Mm. How can we all improve, not just how the contractor can improve, but how can we make things easier for you as um, mm. the uh, principal as yeah. well? Um, and then how do we take that into our further contracts and how do we um, use that information to inform future tendering as well? Have we had great experiences in the past? Because you see mm. this real disconnect. You know, we're so 
fascinated and we, we love lessons learned and safety, right? Mm. We don't seem to do this in procurement and we don't yeah. take that lesson that we know yeah. how important lessons learned are into procurement space. Um, we often bang on about safety and design. Mm. Um, I think there's only one safety regulator I know in Australia that's ever done a guidance for procurement. Mm. And, um, and that was for government projects in, in Victoria. Um, but one of the things that that uh, annoys me too, and I've seen it a couple of times, is that not only do we have standards for management and engineering and all mm. that sort of stuff, we often contract people based on a contract that's from the Australian standard yeah. for contracts. <laughs> so no one is writes a contract really from scratch. Yeah, We're still right. operating from a template. Yeah. So, you know... We talk about bespoke safety and how it needs to, you know, needs uh, to be tailored to specific circumstances. I don't know anybody mm. who writes a contract from a project mm. from scratch and places enough emphasis on the safety from go to woe of the mm. project. Yeah, that's um, right. And it's, is it is it really just a matter of being lazy, or are we? Just and guess what? Like that's a legal obligation. <laughs> um, well, to by base the, way. the contract on the standard. Or? Well, no, no, no. It's a it's a legal obligation to make sure that you are thinking about the entire life cycle. Mm, yeah. Um, and you're doing that in a coordinated fashion. So, mm-hmm. in model laws jurisdictions have yep. the co- horizontal consultation provision, mm-hmm. what's so called, um, consult, coordinate, and cooperate with all other duty holders who have an overlapping duty yep. in relation to a matter. That is a legal obligation that is essentially requiring us to be better about procurement than mm. we are, amongst other things. Mm. Um, but that's one um, application of that provision. And what it really requires is sitting down with people and saying, how are we going to sort this out? And where are our areas of overlap? And how are we going to manage this relationship? And that's not a one-way street. That's not one party saying this is how it's going to work. Mm. It's two parties or more, you know, because often there are multiple parties, contractors, subcontractors, etc., um, all sitting down together and saying, well, who is responsible mm. for what? And when do we want an information exchange? And that could be from the principal as much as from contractors. And doing that before you enter into a contract yeah. and include it as you know, a schedule to a contract mm. in an interface coordination plan type of thing um, to make sure that it's really clear so that when you do have issues down the track, as invariably you will, it's really clear what mm. the intent was. But that requires actually sitting down together and working that through, mm. which isn't something that can be done with a template. No, no. <laughs> in, in a circumstance <clears throat> where you haven't worked with those people before or you're doing something new, you might develop whole-of-relationship things that you can apply to multiple contracts, of yeah. course. But um, I just don't think people are doing that to the level that we probably should no. be. In, um, in the large projects that I've been involved with, um, there's always a situation, you know, early works, mm. moving power poles or whatever else. Yeah. We don't seem to have any early works in contract development mm. or project development. Mm. And, um, and I'm trying to think of how we can, we can build that into the conceptual design yeah, exactly. of, what, of what we're doing. But as far as I see, certainly from the large infrastructure contracts, that's always time critical yeah. and usually, a, <laughs> usually something that's that they've thought of and they need to have actions as soon as possible. And it's not that safety is sacrificed, but discussion, thought, and reflection are sacrificed. Mm. And uh, and so we all carry the can. And what is risk assessment if not planning? Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) I agree. Um, Given that um, the first question was what's happening in 2018, who or what, what type of person, what type of profession 
is going to have the most influence on safety in 2018? Mm. Can I, can I can, answer that in an aspirational yeah, way? Sure. You can say, you can <laughs> say pass or ring a code of look, frame um, if you want. You know, if... I mean, who in, inputs into safety? I mean, there's a there's a raft of different areas where this is true. Um, safety professionals, obviously, lawyers, obviously. I would like to see that get beyond those two cohorts. You know, if we kind of mm. pulling together a lot of people under the safety professional um, mm. kind of group, I'd like to see operational managers having more of an impact on safety. Mm. Um, in a positive direction, mm. um, but that will require us to spend more time with operational um, people, upskilling them for um, things that we currently do. I think, um, mm. you know, I never think it's a good idea for lawyers to have more influence. <laughs> um, I don't know that lawyers do have a huge amount of influence. Um, to be honest, I, I think the idea of the law has more influence than lawyers themselves. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the, question, the, the question that nobody seems to pursue is where does safety begin? And it seems to sort of fade into this cloudy origin. Mm. But, but, you know, what starts it? I'm, I'm never quite sure. But well, anyway, that, mean, that's, a, that's a big question. For, yeah. for me, it's, it really ought to be integrated as part of operational management. It's just an aspect of operational mm. management. And I don't think any profession that supports safety outcomes has been particularly good at getting t- people to that point mm. as, you know, whether it's CEOs, directors in senior leadership or it's, or it's operational management on the ground. Um, because you can't be everywhere. As an mm. advisor, you can't be everywhere advising yeah. on everything. You need it to be integrated in in how things are working if we were to skill up and and authorize operational managers um do you think that in time and not too far away that we wouldn't have a need for safety advisors or safety professionals and that it would be Mm. integrated into operations as standard thought do you see that happening soon i i think there's still a role it's not the role that safety professionals have thought they Mm. had um, yeah. or, or might have wanted it to be, right? So uh, there's less of a role for a more traditional kind of approach to being a safety professional of telling people what to do and what not to do and what's terrible and being policemen yeah. um, kind of stuff. I don't think there's a role for that. But there is a role, I think, as a, as a kind of facilitator guiding people through yeah. the process um, of them taking ownership. And it's mm. we, And in fact, we need more coaching and mentoring of the support professionals in safety um, to support them become those guides and facilitators and also make it clear to generations to come that if you've got a huge capacity for influencing others for better outcomes, then this is a really great kind of role Mm. for you Um, because I don't know that people know about this as an area um, for their careers. No, know. and I think if, uh, if you ask anybody, um, what does a safety person look like, it'll be hard hat and clipboard. L- yeah, you know, that's so. what they look like, mm-hmm. but you'll also get a load of different answers mm-hmm. around what is it a safety professional does. <laughs> My wife's been asking that for a long time. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> um, well, uh, we're uh, running out of time, so what, what I um, 
wanted to ask, I mean, the demographics that you and Clyde and Co. Um, talk to um, is, is more often than not large organisations and, and boards and uh, sort of the, the corner office? Sure. I mean, it, it's a mix. It really mm. is a mix. So we, we talk to, you know, senior leadership and, and boardrooms at Australia in, in the larger companies, mm. obviously, and, and have large companies and government departments that we spend a lot of time with. Um, but we're also spending quite a bit of time with those companies who have already worked out that they need to do more in lower levels. Yeah. So yeah. we're getting more into that middle <clears throat> management and also the worker level and upskilling them on better yeah. risk appreciation. So- so you talk but to the, you talk to the top, and then we've got to you've got yeah. to spread safety throughout. Yeah. If you uh, were um, asked by your local cafe, I think mm. you live in Sydney, don't you? Yes, I yeah, do. You live in Sydney. Um, your local don't hold cafe against me, people. <laughs> to um, to to give them safety advice. Mm. Tell us how we can make our safety. How can we improve safety? Mm. What would be your, your three pieces of advice to the local corner shop cafe owner? Electricity, <laughs> really look at it electrical. Yeah, that'd be a big, big thing. Uh, fire, <laughs> yeah, really look at fire and make sure that you've got those protocols mm-hmm. up to date and make sure that you're you've got a plan for keeping your equipment you know in date and maintained because yep. I mean they're really like big ticket items that if something's going to go catastrophically wrong, that's what's going to be. But then I'd also actually have a look around and go, all right, how's the design and layout of this in terms of the interaction of both your cafe workers and people coming here? Yeah. So, yeah, um, where do you get yeah, your supplies? Yeah, and you know, and like what's in? your cold storage yeah. looking like? And, mm. you know, are you keeping things at height? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and just have just some really practical conversations about about stuff like that because I think it's that's the real stuff right yeah well it is I just sort of had a picture of uh, them going to the the daily menu chalkboard and drawing some Venn diagrams about cultural discussions with staff and stakeholders. It's um, but I think you're you're absolutely right. What are the, the real, what, what are the, what are the, what are the critical issues? risks? Yeah, and, and like what can we do about that? And then we can talk about the other stuff outside of that. But you know, it's interesting. The, the cafes I really like to go to. Um, it's where they've got a great team that's constantly communicating with mm. with. Whether it's the kitchen, it's the the waiters, it's the maitre d', you know, kind of marshalling the troops. But there's this constant and continuous communication. And in fact, you know, with the exception of places like Cafe Vamp, <laughs> that, had, yes. that had other issues okay. um, with with Brody Panlock, for example. Um, but I think cafes are almost it's a much easier kind of environment, funnily mm. enough, to to affect. A safe working environment because you are you have to be a close knit team mm. to make the operations work, and so a lot of that other stuff on health and safety is taken care of because you're continuously communicating. It's part of how it works. Wouldn't it be interesting to see um, awards be or a category for awards of being the the safest smallest business, mm. um, and just see what their priorities are. Mm. I remember, um, I think it was Werner Blewett and Andrea Shaw some years ago now, mm. um, assessed the safety of small companies like uh, news agents and, mm. and others. And it was always fascinating because it was always the, the short end of town, the small end of town, mm. but it was the place where a change could be affected so much it's dramatic. It's, yeah. it's, it's dramatic and it doesn't actually take much investment mm. in terms of resources and money because yeah. 
you're closer to the action. I'm so sick of a narrative that says this is so hard for small business to comply with. I, I actually think it's much easier because you're closer to things. You can yeah. you can actually directly affect change. Um, but I, 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 you know, to to bring it back to law for a, for a moment, it's it's interesting because you know you as a small business really need to pay attention to it because if you look at the prosecutions that are being taken yes. um it really is small business and small business company directors sole directors um that are being prosecuted we're not seeing the big end of town prosecuted yes. that much and when the big end of town is prosecuted they're entering into enforceable undertakings yeah. as an alternative to that prosecution because yeah. they can afford to yeah. um throw more significant dollars at so the person it. more likely to be in the dock yeah. on an ohs breach in the magistrate's court is likely is to be a small, a small business person. Yeah. That's certainly the trend mm. and it's a continuing one. Um, mm. And I don't think that that is good news for safety and I don't think that's good news for um, <laughs> yeah, the way it, it ought to be. Um, but you kind of are seeing this sort of two-tier thing happening where small business people who can't afford mm. yeah. some other alternative are finding themselves in the dock and... Um, the big end of town yeah. I think that was, getting out of that. I think that was one of the things that came up during the uh, harmonisation moves was, um, uh, you know, was dealing with multi-state organisations and, and all of that sort of, there was, you know, big end of town were, were making submissions. But it always seemed odd to me, uh, sad in a way, you know, 90-odd percent of businesses are small business, they're usually in one state, so the harmonisation was not an issue. All of that debate could wash over them. Mm. Now they have, you know, the same obligations as anybody else, but it, it actually separated mm. them from safety debate mm. because when really their safety was uh, is even more critical mm. because of the impact if something goes wrong. No, absolutely. Right. I, I really want to do more with small business, mm. quite, quite honestly, um, because I just think it's really unfair. You know, the people who are less likely to have the resources to know that they even need to know about this yeah. issue um, are the ones being, being caught out, and I, I don't know that that's particularly yeah. fair. All right. Thanks for your time today. And, uh, it's I good to forward, see you, Kevin. Well, I look forward to the, the food and uh, learning about WHS Year in Review. I think it'll be really good. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be an interesting one. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Elena as much as I did. I never did get to uh, taste, uh, taste one of the pork pies, <clears throat> but I can say that the chicken leek pasties were very, very good. This episode of Safety at Work Talks is a really useful uh, companion piece to the blog article from November 20. So please have a look at that, that article and because uh, there are some more details and some more links through to what uh, was discussed. I'm always keen to hear feedback on the Safety at Work blog or this new Safety at Work Talks podcast. You can email me at jonesk at safetyatwork.biz with your comments or suggestions for uh, other interviews. The Safety at Work blog is approaching its 10th anniversary of existence and its first anniversary is a subscription service. In the new year, there'll be some very special offers for those who continue to subscribe and support the, uh, the blog, but also some handy inducements for new subscribers. So that'll be happening um, around uh, February and uh, early March of next year. But until then, um, you've been uh, listening to uh, Kevin Jones and the Safety at Work Talks podcast, and I hope you'll stay safe and we'll, um, uh, we'll uh, talk to you again very soon.